0: Okay, we are back here with another episode of Kente Corner, your Casual Hoya podcast. You can find us on Casual Hoya. Go to the website. Go to Casual Hoya's Twitter. Um, We're on Google Play, iTunes, Spotify, all those good places where you can find podcasts. And everyone's been doing a great job listening, so keep on up there. Today's episode, we've got a special guest, Patrick Stevens. Patrick is currently with The Athletic and The Washington Post, among other places. He's not only one of the best college basketball follows locally in the DMV here, but also nationally as well. Patrick, welcome to Kente Corner.
1: Bobby, thanks so much for having me tonight.
0: Um, So Patrick, on The Athletic, which is a great great website, which I uh, encourage everyone to check out and give it a try. I think you're going to like it. Patrick has been doing a series of local teams here in the DMV looking at their non-conference schedule. So I want to get him on here to talk about Georgetown's schedule, because for the first time in Patrick Ewing's three short years, there's some positive stuff to talk about. So, Patrick, what, what sort of jumps out at you when the non-conference schedule was announced and early by Georgetown standards?
1: Yeah, it certainly was early. I wasn't expecting to see it till around Labor Day or so. Um, yeah. Y- you look at it and uh, it's it's 13 games uh, with the 18 in the Big East, 13 here, I think, 6, 79. I'm looking at it right now, 13. Uh, 13 games, six of them, and maybe seven, uh, depending on who they play in that second game up in New York, are against top 100 teams in the net from a year ago. And maybe most strikingly, out of those 13 games, there's three and maybe four uh, that will be against teams from the bottom half of that NCAA metric from last year, uh, UMBC, uh, which is still a, a team capable of winning 20 games, possibly Cal if they end up playing them up in New York, uh, Central Arkansas, a team that got scheduled for them as as, as part of that uh, exempt event, uh, and then Mount Saint Mary's, the season opener. So this is not a schedule uh, that has a lot of cushion to it. Uh, there's some really intriguingly dicey games i don't think georgia state's going to be quite as good as they were but but unc greensboro uh, is a team that won 29 games last year and brings seven of its 10 main rotation guys back penn state and oklahoma state are two teams that could be better they lost to smu last year so that's certainly not a a gimme And, and i think teams like samford and american uh have a chance to improve at least a little bit anyway Uh, and finish closer, in in, in Sanford's case, in the top half of its league, the Southern Conference, in American's case, a a chance to finish top two or three in a Patriot League that should be really wide open beyond defending champ Colgate.
0: Yeah, that's definitely what, you know, I mean, you look at it, I think the biggest thing, I know fans are going to look at the fact, oh, you, you know, Syracuse is back, Texas is a big deal, you're at Oklahoma State and, you know, obviously everyone, you know, still looks at Duke as, you know, that's such a big time game for a program to play. But I think if you focus on the other end, how important do you think it is for teams just in general, and maybe Georgetown has has, has learned this after a couple years, to eliminate those 300 and below teams?
1: There's There's two ways to build a good schedule. The one way is is to go play a bunch of teams near the in the top 50, top 75 or so. And the other is just to simply avoid playing teams in the bottom 100. Uh, and some of those teams you can pick out pretty easily going into the season. Teams that are either consistently terrible year in and year out, or teams that were average or worse last year and, and really don't have a lot of continuity or anything along those lines. So, you know, I think that there were times – Uh, certainly uh, in year one under Ewing that you felt like uh, the Georgetown staff had basically pulled up the RPI and gone scrolled all the way to the bottom and started making calls from number 351 on the way up. Uh, And that's obviously not what's happened in this case. I I really firmly believe that the, the sweet spot for scheduling, even though it's not something that people get excited about, is to play a bunch of teams between about 75 and 200, teams that you ought to be able to beat teams that are probably either average or worse power conference teams or really good teams in one- and two-bid leagues that are likely to go out and win 18, 19, 20-plus games uh, and really buoy you that way. Uh, But that said, there's nothing wrong with with, with having a little more oomph to your schedule, uh, and and Georgetown certainly uh, has done that simply playing the exempt event this year and playing, frankly, kind of a real exempt event. I, I, last year was a little, uh, it was that was a weird tournament. It was almost a quasi tournament that they played. I think it was in Jamaica. And then obviously the year before they, they didn't play in one. So to play in the exempt event, the multi-team event, however you want to phrase it, is helpful. Syracuse is there. Uh, and then, you know, the Big East deals with the Big Ten and the Big 12 uh, have a chance uh, to provide some help for Georgetown. I think Penn State's going to be better this year. I mean, they went 14 and 18 last year and were a top 50 team. Uh, so that tells you two things. One, they weren't terrible. And B, there's still ways to kind of game uh, the the NCA's new metric to get a team that's four games under 500 into the top 50. Uh, and Oklahoma State was a 12 and 20 team and a really solid big 12 that uh, that brings back it's four best scorers who made it through last season. So uh, I I happen to like this schedule a lot. I also think that unlike the last couple of years where you're sitting there saying, well, Georgetown better be 10 and one or or 11 and two or something like that going into Big East play. uh, I I think there's a real chance that this team uh, takes a a few dings along the way um, before they get to Big East play. But I I think they'll be better for it uh, than they were – in terms of their preparation for for conference play over the last 2 years.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I was definitely one of the guys banging the drum about the schedule and just how it looked. You mentioned there were so many there's so many different ways I can go from what you just said, there's a couple, you know, different different directions as far as what I wouldn't mind expanding on. But one of the things is for a marquee name like Georgetown that's sort of been down just real quick like you mentioned being back in the um in these preseason events how important you think it is for a program like that to get out there they've been in maui multiple times they've been for battle or the battle for atlantis a couple events up in new york i think it was the legends classic um up in uh, brooklyn just events like that they were in charleston which wasn't a real big event but they played nc state they played wofford you know there was some stuff there how important you think it is for a team like them to get back in that in that mix because you don't always have the opportunity to, to get in that mix well, there's a couple of factors here. Number one, they're helped by the fact
1: that the big east isn't a 15-16 team monstrosity anymore. Yeah. Because because you can only have barring stepping back a minute, you had a couple times with conference realignment where you'd have two teams from the same league that had contracted with an event and they ended up in there together.
0: But Actually happened generally
1: in the Yeah, but generally speaking, that's not going to happen. So in the big East, you have 10 teams to choose from. And if we're being candid, you know, Georgetown, if, if we're sitting here trying to come up with, well, what's the most appealing team for one of these events to draw in from the big East? Well, it doesn't take long to get to Georgetown. I mean, obviously at this stage, right. Villanova is going to be off, the would be off the board if they were all getting their first choice all the way through. But after that, uh, I'm I'm not sure there's anybody that automatically jumps in front of them. They're certainly going to be in that pack uh, with St. John's, with Butler, uh, with Seton Hall to some extent, Xavier, uh, Creighton, uh, Marquette. So I, I don't know if there's anybody above them beyond Villanova in terms of perception. There's certainly it's certainly easier to come up with with some teams that, that probably rank below them. So. But there's only ten of them, so there's more than ten of these exempt events out there. So there's a chance to get into these things maybe a little bit easier than if you were in a 15-team ACC or a 14-team Big Ten or what the Big East was 10 to 15 years ago. Uh, so so that's part of it. But the other factor here is because you're you've seen the Big Ten go to 20 league games and the ACC is going to 20 league games this year, and I believe the SEC is doing the same thing, and I. I'm not sure if the Pac-12 has gotten that far, but it wouldn't be stunning to see them go to 20. Suddenly, you have fewer of those opportunities, even in the handful of non-conference games, to go play. So you got to get a shot at some of these higher-end teams at some point. And, and those early-season tournaments, the multi-team events, uh, are, are are quite frankly the way to get them. Uh, you look at the event that they're in this year, they've got a an ACC team, a Big 12 team, and and a bad Pac-12 team. Uh, In in some ways, you're almost trying to – That Texas game has added significance simply because a loss there means that you're playing a a, a rebuilding Cal team in all likelihood uh, instead of facing a a team that's a one or two seed nearly every year.
0: Yeah, and everyone's just going to be really focused on just, you know, Duke is Duke. Everyone's going to be focused on that. But, yeah, you also want to avoid a game you don't necessarily want in a game that you wouldn't have scheduled. Um, In your, in your observations over the years and some of these newer coaches that are coming in, particularly from the NBA um, first time guys, have you, I I know Georgetown particularly took a lot of flack for their schedule and there was a lot of piling on about, you know, what John Thompson Jr. used to do at some point. Have you seen this sort of strategy out there from other first-year coaches, particularly some of these NBA guys? Or was Ewing sort of doing, you know, maybe something a little bit a little bit different the first couple
1: of I years? I think it might be a little bit different. That's an interesting question because I hadn't really thought about what Mullen did, although Mullen did not schedule especially well at St. John's or, or what uh, Avery Johnson did at Alabama or something like that. Yeah, I know we've talked about this plenty of times before. I, I had no issues with the Georgetown – pitiful schedule in year one under Ewing, simply because yeah. I, I think everybody with a reasonable amount of rationality realized that was a team that wasn't going to make the NCAA tournament anyway. And so if you know that going in, then do what you, do what you want. Uh, you, you know, you're obviously uh, going to have some cranky season ticket holders that aren't going to be thrilled uh, as Georgetown marches to 5-0 and in the MEAC uh, at that point in the season. But yeah. beyond that, um, if you're not playing for March, what does it matter? I thought last year they probably could have done a little bit better than they did. Um, and, and now, granted, the schedule was better than a year before, but that's not really a particularly great accomplishment. It would have been hard so not to be. It w- it really would have been hard not to. Uh, so I think that this is a good sign. That this schedule is a welcome sign. I think not just for Georgetown fans, but for for people that, that are interested in seeing good basketball games in the area, uh, that Ewing isn't simply going to sit there and schedule the St. Leo's and Hawaii Helos of the, of the 21st century anyway, and just keep scheduling those teams year in and year out and try to give himself a 10 and one start or 12 and one starter, you know, you name it, uh yeah. heading into conference play. I, th- I think this is a sign that, that, Either he get either he got it all along and just wasn't interested in playing a tough schedule, or he he's gotten it eventually, maybe with some help from an assistant coach, uh or somebody in in, in administration or what have you, and said, look, you gotta you gotta tighten this thing up a bit uh, if you think you're going to be pretty good. And, and when you look at that sophomore class, I think it's fair to say that after an NIT berth last year, that that the expectations around the program are probably that this can be a team. In the hunt for an NCAA tournament bid uh, in the final weeks of the season.
0: Um, so for the people that have been following along on the athletic, you have previewed a couple other schools in the area. How does Georgetown schedule, in your opinion, stack up to some of the local, the local non-conference schedules?
1: Um, well, it's certainly better than Virginia Tech's, which is kind of in the same spot Georgia Georgetown was in two years ago, where. Yeah. They they play they're playing Michigan State in Maui, um, and aside from the two game that game and the two games after it they they're in Blacksburg the entire time up until New Year's, uh, and it's not a particularly imposing schedule, uh, as I recall with Virginia, uh, they're playing South Carolina, uh, they play in a not great exempt event they play UMass in their first game and then play either Arizona State or Saint John's they they've got some interesting uh one bid league type opponents like a vermont and a stony brook are in there uh so so i think their schedule is solid it's decent they they have a rematch with purdue in the acc big 10 challenge but it's not overwhelmingly awesome but they were they were a mid-pack non-conference schedule team last year uh and that obviously didn't hurt them one bit with the committee or uh or with how things ultimately played out uh when you look at maryland uh Maryland didn't get have any favors made for them when they got Notre Dame as their ACC Big 10 challenge opponent, a team that finished last in the ACC last season. Uh they've got uh they've got an exempt event in Orlando where they open with Temple. Uh Marquette's down in that event. I think Davidson's down there too. So there's a chance to play a couple decent games uh in that sucker. Uh you look at the you they play um Rhode Island and George Mason. So those are a couple decent, maybe not elite A10 teams, but teams that should finish in that 5 through 7 or 8 range in the conference. They did a pretty decent job like Georgetown of kind of minimizing the bad on their schedule. Uh there's a few interesting variables like they play uh they play Holy Cross under new coach Brett Nelson. If you want to feel old, you know, Brett Nelson the former Gator now in charge of his his uh, own program up at Holy Cross after Bill Carmody retired. That's Maryland's opener. Uh, so, so that's kind of a, a team that could be a little dicey. You don't know what they're going to be at this point after a, a kind of weirdly timed coaching change. Uh, they play a Fairfield team that's, that's kind of rebuilding at this point under new coach Jay Young, who was an assistant at Rutgers and Stony Brook before getting this opportunity at that Metro Atlantic school. Uh, But I I think overall, when you look at Maryland, the the, the highlight's probably a trip up to Seton Hall to complete a home-and-home series. Uh, So there's some decent games there, too. If I had to guess, of the three teams that we've just talked about there, that at the end of the season, Maryland will probably have the toughest non-conference schedule of the three of them, followed by Virginia and Virginia Tech. And I I would guess that Georgetown would be closer to Maryland than Virginia, if not better than Maryland on that non-conference strength of schedule metric at years at
0: Particularly if they can get by Texas.
1: Yes. I mean, that's a, that really is a, the sort of thing that can help them immense. I mean, beating Texas will probably help just by itself, but right. the fact that the fact that you would get to play Duke, a team that's not going to hurt you, even if you lose, as opposed to playing Cal, a team that very well may hurt you, even if you win, um, is quite the, quite the contrast there. And you don't often see that, uh, in these, in these multi-team events that involve power conference schools. It's one thing if you get yourself, like in Orlando, uh, if Mar- Maryland had a couple of losses, it might end up playing Fairfield a second time. So that would, that would be, you know, really not good for them. Uh, but, you know, you would anticipate that most of the teams in an event like that are going to be solid enough. I think Southern Cal's down in that thing and should be a top 100, top 125 team. Uh, But you don't see too many power conference teams, the likes of Cal, which was 229 in the net last year and 241 in Ken Palm while going eight and 23.
0: Um, So in all those schedules that you just talked about, you do see a bunch of local matchups, which, you know, someone like yourself, you're going anywhere from Richmond up to even the Philadelphia area. You're pretty much at a game almost every night of the college basketball season. I'm not nearly on that level, but you can pretty much find me at all the Georgetown and George Mason games. Assuming Georgetown just isn't going to play Mason until they open a building again, which is the only other time that they played them. Um, Georgetown did get three locals on their schedule. I would consider Mount St. Mary's local. And then you've got UMBC and American. Um, I would like to have seen maybe ODU, maybe, you know, Selfishly, JMU. Um, as far as playing Maryland, I know that you know we we got to see that. That's the one gift the Gabbett Games is really given the fans, particularly the local fans. Is that something that you think we're only going to see if it's forced upon those schools? Yeah, and this kind of goes back
1: to the the topic we were talking about with the with the number of conference games. So you know, Maryland's yeah. playing twenty Big Ten Big Ten games. With UConn coming in, there's a pretty good chance that that Georgetown would be playing 20 Big East games here in a couple seasons. Right. So now you're down to 11 games, and if you're Maryland, you're probably playing, um, a you're playing an ACC Big Ten Challenge game. If you're Georgetown, you're playing a a, a challenge game against the Big 12. Now we're down to 10 games apiece. If you go and play an exempt event, you're playing four games total. It's either like this like Georgia Georgetown has Georgia State and Central Arkansas plus the two games in New York Maryland has the three games in Orlando plus Fairfield so now we've knocked another four games off so, so now we're looking at 20 you've only got five or six games remaining to play with so i think it's the kind of thing that you're probably going to see uh pop up and if it pops up again anytime soon it'll either be like when the two teams were in Orlando at the same time, I think that was in oh eight, oh nine, and they yeah. they happened to play uh or uh a Gabbit game situation. I don't know if there's necessarily a real appetite from either school to play that game on an even even a semi-regular basis. Uh I haven't gotten that sense. Uh that that either team really wants to give up the home game every other year. And I think it's fair to ask, after having seen, especially the crowd at Georgetown's home game, is it something that is really all that exciting for everyone to be playing that game in in mid November? Uh, I don't know. I, I I tend to think that, um, you know, if you're if you're Georgetown, which would you rather do? Would you rather play Maryland or would you rather keep your series with Syracuse? I mean, I think I know the answer to that one. And if if you're Maryland um you know do you want to give up that do you want to you know give up a home game especially when you start thinking about you know the finances of the of the respective athletic departments and how important it is to have those home games so i i tend to think that that's going to be the an occasional thing that, that if if you're really into the idea of that rivalry and, and frankly as as somebody that's you know did not see those teams play regularly in the seventies. You're sitting there thinking, well, how often have they really played in the last 30, 35 years? They played what in in November of 93, they played in the tournament. No one, they played in Orlando and they played these two Gavit games. So they played five times in, in 35 years or so. I mean, you can sit there and try to gin up a rivalry if you want to, but I'm not sure it really is that big of a deal uh overall and i know nobody wants to hear that everybody wants to act like this should be like uh philadelphia and all the schools play each other but but i don't know if the impetus is really there
0: yeah i mean i totally agree I, i didn't make it to the game at maryland it just didn't work out for me that night it was pretty disappointing the crowd at the georgetown game where georgetown coughed up a pretty good lead in the last minute was was definitely disappointing um the things I would say, maybe possibly helping it out if it's not a, if it's not Gavin game driven, and this is more from the Georgetown side than the Maryland side is. Uh, I think, and we saw it last year when Georgetown doesn't have that home non-conference game against Syracuse, they're definitely missing something. Their fans are missing mm-hmm. something. So that would be, in my opinion, a positive for Georgetown. With the Big East, like you said, when they're adding UConn, they're going to get that 11th team. That pretty much means every weekend, and you are probably have the schedule matrix figured out better than me, but you're going to have a lot of, you're probably going to have the Big East sort of encouraging teams to step out of conference one weekend during the season. Um, so, and that sort of gets to the whole, don't play Maryland in November, because that clearly when football going on, or I don't know what it was, it definitely did not help. So I would think that Georgetown in the past has stepped out of conference in midseason. They've done it for Duke a couple times. Uh, I think they did it t- they, they did it for Kansas back when Josh Smith was on Georgetown. Still, I'm not sure what year did that it, was. Did it for UConn? What's that? They did it for UConn the last few years. In the last few yeah, years. they did it for UConn. They actually did it – Um, they played Michigan State – or, yeah, they played Michigan State up in MSG at one point in mm-hmm. uh, 2014. Um, so the idea of stepping out of conference might be encouraged from the Big East. I'm not sure how you handle the 11 teams. There's always a bye week, or what? How you sort of figure out the schedule there? So for me, th- those are sort of the the reasons, you know, that Georgetown might be encouraged to do it.
1: Yeah, that, that that's certainly a valid point. I think it's also uh, also worth noting that two of those conference games are probably going to get wedged in before final exams. I would think there's a decent, you know, like like uh, the ACC is going to be playing two games. They'll be playing their openers. Everybody but Dukes playing their opener in conference play uh, and okay. they'll play another one in, in early December. The big 10 played, everybody played two in that first seven or eight days of December last year. So, I mean, I think that's something else that you have to factor in that, that there's, there's going to be a couple of those spots as well. So, you know, if you're going through, you're probably going to have some teams just take the buy as it is and, and, and rest up and, um, that's how kind of the ACC has worked out too, with 15 teams. That you have, you know, that also creates the the interesting scenario that somebody in an 11-team league has to have the bye the final weekend of the regular season. So who's right. kind of the, the team that gets extra rest going into MSG? It's an interesting scenario, you know, prop because in in a lot of ways your league schedule makers are going to want your best teams to be playing uh, that last weekend for to, for some sort of uh, meaningful game. So it might be a situation where a certain team in the Midwest ends up not playing that last Saturday of the, of the regular season.
0: Yeah. Having a particularly early senior night or day. Um, I'll get you out of here on this one. You kind of touched on it a little bit earlier about how, you know, they could stumble a little bit, but they've given themselves some cushion last couple of years. It's basically been, you need to go 10 and zero, you need to beat Syracuse. Give yourself any shot. What does this schedule, in your opinion, do for in the event that Georgetown is, you know, a little bit better than 500 in the Big East? Is this the kind of non-conference schedule that puts them in the mix, uh, you know, of being, you know, part of your, you know, part, part of your eventual bubble that that you're going to be writing every other day? Uh, It depends on what they do against it. But Well, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Mean- I'm, yeah. I mean, just just. Just philosophically, is this schedule you know beefy enough to? This is a legitimate schedule. If you do what you need to do, you're going to be in the mix. Yeah, I I think that when you look at this, let let's
1: let's envision a scenario of Georgetown being nine and nine in the Big East. Okay. And let's give them let's give them a, a ten and three in this non-conference schedule. They're probably going to have a chance at that point. Whereas the last few years, I. I can assure you that they wouldn't have, right. under under that scenario. So uh, obviously, it's hard to sit there and say that when you don't know what those those three losses are. But even if oh, even course. if you assume that it's they lose Texas, Syracuse, and say Oklahoma State, maybe there's not a lot of great victories to be had at that point. But there's no some bad decent losses. teams that aren't going to hurt you. Like you know, you go beat UNC Greensboro on November 30th, and you don't think anything of it. And then you turn around and that's a team that's in the top three or four in the Southern Conference and and wins 22 games. And that's a team that helps you at that point. So, you know, you go and you beat a, you beat a SMU. It should probably be a little bit better. um, And you have a top hundred, top 80 win at the end of the season. It might not be awesome, but it helps you. And the fact is, is that beating a top hundred team on the road actually does have a, a little bit of value in the quadrant system. So
0: which actually no, I, I, actually Georgetown was finding that out last year when they were sort of on the fringe. I never felt they were really in the mix, but the Illinois win at some point, even though their record wasn't very good, was actually providing them a lot of help yeah and
1: and you could see you could see something like that happen again, even if Oklahoma state's like the eighth best team in the big twelve this year if they go out and win in Stillwater, so you know there's they 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 need certain things to break right. They need Penn State and Oklahoma State to take the next logical step. They would really really help themselves if they beat Texas and get a shot at Duke. I mean you could you could argue that that Texas game is the most important game that they'll play prior prior to the start of Big East play, just because of of that dynamic that that kind of cascade effect. Um, you know, knocking off a Syracuse, which should be a solid mid pack ACC team. Uh, would be helpful. Uh, So there's opportunities there, it looks like, uh, to help yourself. But that having been said, you do have a little bit more wiggle room where a loss to a Texas or a loss to a Syracuse probably doesn't do nearly the same damage to you just because of the value of that lost opportunity uh, as it might have in the past.
0: Totally agree. Um, For everyone, out there patrick stevens is on twitter at discourse and that's uh he spells it with a one not an i you can find him again at the athletic i encourage everyone to sign up at least give that a shot he'll be at the washington post and if you follow his twitter feed during college basketball season every night he's going to be somewhere else so it's a great feed it's a great feed to look at patrick thanks and we hope to have you on again during the season a bunch awesome thanks so much for having me buddy. all right thanks i'll see you Okay...